Well, the title of my message was Jesus, the Anointed One. And really, it could be Jesus, the Messiah, or Jesus, the Christ. Jesus was fully God and fully man. It's what we celebrate at Christmas is the incarnation of Jesus. So we have God coming to earth in a form of flesh and blood. Really a miraculous thing. Something very distinct to the Christian faith compared to all other faiths. And one thing I want to do this morning is look at um, the magnificence of God and Jesus as God's son, Jesus. But I want to point out something real quick before we go to three accounts. We're going to look at three different people today that met Jesus before he was even two years old. So they had an experience with Jesus before he was even two years old. And they left changed. So we're going to look at that. But before we do that, I just want to point out something that was like sort of bothersome as I was, you know, preparing this message. And I was kind of all over the place with the incarnation of Jesus and preparing and thinking and dwelling on the Trinity and God, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. And something that I just kept wrestling was God was fully God, but also fully man in Jesus. You know, he came to earth. He's fully God, but fully man. And our minds kind of, at least my mind, has a hard time grasping how those two natures don't compete with each other in him, in Jesus, you know? Like, how are you fully man and fully God? Well, only Jesus could do that. But then, you know, I was looking um, through some material, and something kind of jumped out to me, and I just wanted to point this out. Jesus was always God, always. He never stopped being God. Even when he took on flesh and blood as a man, he never stopped being God. He never gave up his deity. And that is something that I think is so crucial and foundational that you have to understand when you're looking at Jesus coming to earth, that that God cannot stop being God. He's not dependent on anything. He wasn't created. There was no beginning and there is no end to God. He just is. And I don't know about you, but my mind just kind of goes poof. <laughs> when you try to, when you try to understand that, because everything we see here on earth, you know, us, the earth, the animals, the, everything was created, right? And everything has a sort of end, though we are eternal spirits because of Jesus. But, you know, everything we see, was created. But yet God in himself is not dependent on anything. Not on time, not on space, not on anything. He just is. And um, one thing that as we go through these accounts, three different people that, that encounter Jesus, meet Jesus before he's even two years old, they leave knowing who they met. They did not meet an ordinary man. They know very well they met something special, a Messiah, a King, a Lord. 
And I want to look at Philippians real quickly. Philippians 2, 7 and 8. It reads, But made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death of the cross. And I read from the King James Version there on purpose. Um, This scripture sometimes, I believe, is just taken a little too far because that that place at the beginning said, but made himself of no reputation. Some translations say emptied himself. And that's fine. But what has happened is some teachers would take this scripture and say that Jesus very literally, completely emptied himself of being God. Like he gave up his spot in the Trinity for 33 years while he was on earth. Like he gave up his deity for those 33 years. And I think that's taken too far um, because, again, Jesus is eternal. Jesus is part of the Trinity. He was, he is, he is to come. There is no stop to Jesus being God. He didn't stop being God when he was on earth. There's a big difference between believing he stopped being God and believing, like this verse reads, that he humbled himself and chose not to use those privileges and powers and all-knowing skills and capabilities he had. I don't know about you, but I remember, um, I love hymns. It was just, you know, I was non-denominational girl growing up with two Lutheran grandmas, and I loved a good hymn. And one of the hymns that I really loved was, we they'd always sing it at Easter, he could have called 10,000 angels, but he bled and died for you and me. I can hear swan in the front belting that out. But the the cross over here, he could have, in an instant, turn that thing to a bunch of ash. He could have called 10,000 angels to get him off of that cross. He could have struck dead the people that were whipping him, right? He could have done all of those things because he was still God. But he chose the cross. He submitted to the mission of the Father, the mission to go to the cross and die for me. He chose those things. He gave up not using those privileges in those moments. And I think there's just a big difference there. One of the the material I was reading, one of the pastors said something, and he said, Jesus emptied himself of his divine powers and became a man. It's vital to note that he did his miracles as a man, not as God. I vehemently disagree with that (laughs) statement. He didn't He wasn't just a man. He wasn't just a man. He was fully God the entire time. But he chose to walk out his time on earth as a man. There's a difference. 
I think the accounts that we look at here as we go through these three people that encountered Jesus before he was even two, we'll, we'll see just what an encounter with this Messiah will do in your life and how he was recognized as Lord, as Messiah, as King. Let's first take a look at Elizabeth. Elizabeth, we're in, um, if you want to turn there, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 39. I'll give you a little background here. Um, so Elizabeth and Mary are relatives. They believe to be cousins. And Mary had just been encountered by the angel. So, you know, every Christmas play, the account of the angel visiting Mary and telling her, hey, Mary, you who are highly favored, you're going to have Jesus. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to have the Son of God. And she has this encounter with the angel. And then in this angel encounter, um, he drops a little tidbit of information too. He says, and by the way, your cousin Elizabeth, she's in her sixth month of pregnancy. And Mary leaves astonished because, well, she's going to behold and carry the Son of God, but also her cousin Elizabeth is well in age. And uh, she gets news through this angel that she's pregnant. So Mary makes a trip to go visit Elizabeth. And this is where we pick up in Scripture. It's in Luke chapter 1, verse 39. It says, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will, be, will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill her promises to her. Wow, what an encounter. So, these are just cousins. I mean, they knew each other. Think of your cousins growing up. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, one day you're met with an angel. And not only are you just blown away with what's going to happen in your own life, but then the angel says, by the way, your family member, your cousin, much older than you, is going to bear a child too. And then you go visit her. And then upon, imagine Mary right now walking into Elizabeth's home. And then you know, Elizabeth, I don't know, maybe they hugged, I don't know what the custom was then, but Elizabeth, you know, and all of a sudden, Elizabeth is just hit. It says, filled with the Holy Spirit, and in a loud voice, so we're talking kind of a prophetic greeting comes out of her her mouth, in a loud voice, wow, that wasn't just an ordinary cousinly encounter, I mean, I don't know what happens in your homes, but that's not how I greet my cousins. And this is what happened to Mary and Elizabeth. Why? Because I want you to notice two things. One, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And this is pre-Pentecost, Old Testament type filling. You know, we see the Holy Spirit at work throughout Scripture. And so she's filled with the Holy Spirit. And two, I want to point out the second thing is how does Elizabeth refer to Mary? It's in verse 43. How does Elizabeth refer to Mary? She says, what? In 43. That the mother of my Lord. Wow. She recognized that Mary was carrying her Lord. This was not an ordinary baby. This would not be an ordinary nephew of hers. She knew in that moment, because of the Holy Spirit revealing it to her, and that encounter that she was in the presence of my Lord. Wow. Not an ordinary child. Simeon. That's our next one we're going to look at. We're going to just go over to Luke 2. So just turn the page. We're in Luke chapter 2, and we're going to look at a man named Simeon. Here's a little background. So under the law of Moses, when a child was born, the mother and father, 40 days after birth, would need to take the child to the temple. And there would be a sacrifice made. And a lot of had, this had to do with um, the woman, actually. She was considered ceremonially unclean um, after having a child. Um, and so they would take the child to the temple and do the ceremony of purification. It's in Leviticus. You can read about it, chapter 12. But this was just a custom of the time. And so Mary and Joseph are going to go to the temple with Jesus. Again, this is just a 40-day-old baby that they're taking to the temple. And when they get to Jerusalem and they get to the temple, they are meted, met, sorry, met with this man, Simeon. And Simeon is a devoted man of God, and he's the one that performs the ceremony. And there's something really special about Simeon. He, the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he would see the Messiah before he died. Think about that. How cool. What a promise to have that you would see the Messiah before you died. I don't know about you, but some of people I know are just, they just swear on the fact like, I am going to be raptured, baby. It's in my lifetime. And they feel that in their heart. They feel like they're going to see the second coming of Jesus. I don't know. Maybe they will. If it's from the Lord, they will. But this man was convinced that he was going to see the Messiah because of the Holy Spirit had told him. And so sure enough, um, in walks Mary and Joseph in the temple holding Jesus, 40 days old. And here's where our story picks up. We have Luke chapter 2, verse, I'm going to start in 25 here. Yeah, I'm starting 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. 
Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, and that's this ceremony, Simeon took him in his arms. I just imagine this. Can you just think about how, I don't know, like emotionally moved this man might have been to take this child into his arms. He's been waiting his whole life for this moment. And maybe he didn't even think it was going to happen this way. I don't know when the Lord said, you're going to see the Messiah before you die. Do you think he thought, oh yeah, I'll hold a little baby, you know, and maybe crying and spitting out. Like, is that, is maybe that the picture he had in his mind? I don't know, but here he was. He was going to hold the Messiah in his arms. And he holds Jesus and he says, sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. And pay attention to this. He goes, for my eyes have seen my salvation. Wow. He's saying, God, God, I can die now, is what he's saying. You can dismiss this servant in peace because my eyes see my salvation. He knows in that moment that he is looking at his Messiah, the one he's been waiting for his entire life. And he goes on, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Wow. And Mary and Joseph, meanwhile, are just pondering and they're in wonder at what this man is saying because again they know that that they're carrying jesus and the angel was a huge part of that but imagine seeing this this devoted man of god saying i see him i see salvation right here in my arms wow not just a normal baby not a baby that just stripped himself of all deity. No. No, this was the Son of God. And we're going to look at another group of people. And this is a group of people, not one person. But we're actually going to go over to uh, Matthew. And we're going to look at, go back to Matthew. We're going to look at the Magi. They're really fascinating. And Mike did a, a sermon a few years ago about the Magi. Um, it was really great. And I almost just went strictly solely on the Magi, but God took me in a different direction. But they are just fascinating. And no one really knows, like, are these exactly the group of people that were in Daniel's time, you know, the wise men and Magi that were referred to back in Daniel? Um, did they come from Persia? Did they come from Palestine? We know these men came and they were astrologers. So they studied the stars. We know that they were mixed up in some false worship. They were, uh, worshiping not the true God, yet they probably had some knowledge of God because of Daniel and his time and his influence. So they're kind of this mix of perhaps people that are searching for something more than they were worshiping. They had a little uh, reputation of 
also getting involved in some magic, some sorcery, things like that. Um, nonetheless, I think I see a picture in the magi of people today who maybe are just like spiritual, quote unquote, if you want to say. They're like, maybe they've done a little bit of this, but they've heard about this God that you and I worship. Maybe they even attend church somewhere where we worship Yahweh, the true God, but then they go back and do a little bit of, you know, energy work, and then they go back to church. You know what I mean? Like, they're kind of getting a lot of influence, and that's kind of how I picture the Magi. It's like they had this interesting background, but obviously they're on a quest to find a new king. So they're traveling and they're traveling, and despite the fact that we see the Magi in our manger scenes, I mean, it's cute and I love it, but the Magi did not actually come upon the manger. We know that now, that they didn't come upon the manger. They didn't come upon baby Jesus. It actually says that they came to a child in a home. And many people believe, you know, Jesus was somewhere under the age of two, only because Herod, right, issued a decree to kill all the two and under boys, he wanted to get rid of this king. So that's the thinking. Like, okay, two and under is probably where this child, young child is, Jesus in a home. And so we're going to read about the Magi coming to this home where Jesus is in Matthew 2, 1 through 3. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who was born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And then in verse 9 it says, And then they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream to not go back to Herod, they returned another way. So here you have these fascinating men coming to this child's house, Jesus, and they come up and they worship him. They worship him presenting these gifts that would have been very, very inappropriate for a two-year-old child, right? But they weren't gifts for just a normal little toddler. They were gifts fit for a king because they were coming to worship a king. And so they were coming with gold, very precious, very costly, frankincense, Something, again, that actually at that time would have been costly. It's not something you're going to burn every day in your house like a candle. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Kingly gifts. Expensive gifts. And whatever they had been worshiping before, at that moment, didn't matter. They were worshiping Jesus. Christ. And they were presenting their gifts to a king. 
these three accounts from from Elizabeth with just a child in her womb and just the presence of her making your or Mary with the child in her womb and just making Elizabeth, you know, leap for joy in the response she had to Simeon waiting his, his entire life to see the Messiah and having that sort of response like, whoa, here I am holding salvation. This is the Messiah. To these wise men, these magi, these mysterious men coming and with costly gifts to present to a king are three accounts, and these are just three in the Gospitals, of people that are just totally, 100% sure that this is just not an ordinary child. And you see throughout the Gospels, as you continue to read in the Gospels, Jesus is a very polarizing figure. People either love him, adore him, behold him, follow him, give their lives to him, or they basically hate him because what he is convicts their hearts. What he is, his very presence, makes their religious spirits just scream, right? Because he threatens something inside of them. And you see that. Jesus' presence throughout the gospel causes a reaction, good or bad. I mean, he's either driving out demons or healing the sick or thousands are being saved and following him or he is offending, not on purpose, out of love, but people are offended by his message. And, And that in itself shows us that he had the presence, and was the presence of God. Always. But he chose to walk as a human. And I know today that that I've, you know, really, really, really focused on Jesus being God. He's God. He was always God. He is, he was, is, and is to come. He never once gave up a, a spot in the Trinity. He truly is the Lord in flesh. But in the same way, he was fully human too. And if I was going to do a two-part sermon, next week I would just talk about his humanness and the way he was fully man too. (laughs) And I almost brought hats along because I like visuals, but I was like, no, that's too cheesy. But he didn't, he didn't put on a human hat and then take off his human hat and put on a God hat. And then take that one off and put on a human hat. He always wore two hats. And he could. And they don't contradict each other. That's the beauty of the incarnation of Jesus. And we know, we know, we know, we know that Jesus was also fully man too. Because we know that, you know, we don't have a high priest who does not empathize in our weaknesses. We have one that was tempted in every way, just like us, but did not sin, right? In Hebrews, it tells us that. So we know that he was indeed fully human too, and he was tempted, and he was tried. And he empathizes with us because he took that on. 
And that's the beauty, is that we have both taking place at the same time. And that's what we get to celebrate at Christmas, is what Jesus did for us by coming to the earth and living and dying for you and I. I don't know what I'm going to do when I, you know, get to have, I mean, I've encountered Jesus because I've accepted him in my heart, and I've had glimpses and tastes of just how good his presence is. I don't know, like, if you haven't had that, I pray you do and accept Jesus, even yet today, and I pray that you would have just glimpses and tastes of just the glory and his presence and his goodness in your life. These people that encountered him as just a baby and a toddler understood his mighty power, understood his holiness. There's a picture that I want to put up. It's kind of, yeah, this one. This is a painting. It's a painting, and maybe you're familiar with the story. But this is a painting of a child who had visions and dreams of what Jesus was to her. And at a young age, this eight-year-old child spent 40 hours painting this picture. And she didn't have, like, a Christian background. This was just kind of what she saw Jesus to her. So she painted this picture. And then I don't know if you've seen or read the book, um, Heaven is for Real, where this little boy, Colton, you know, had a near death or death experience and whatnot. Well, this girl and Colton compared stories of what they thought Jesus looked like and what Jesus looked like to them. And one thing they both said was that Jesus's eyes she said she couldn't capture it in paint. Like no matter what she did, oh, gives me chills. No matter what she did, she couldn't paint the color of Jesus's eyes. And I don't know about you, but I think it's so, so essential to know that Jesus is going to meet you and me one day face to face. That man, he's still going to have a body, still going to be relatable, but also fully God, we're going to stand before him and behold his presence. And there's that song I can only imagine. I can only imagine what I'm going to do in the presence of Jesus. I mean, I can imagine. I'm guessing I'm going to be a bucket of tears. <laughs> I don't know. Will I fall in his presence? Will I bow down with my, well, I don't have any gifts. Walmart jewelry, I don't know. Will I bow down before him? Will I, I don't know what I'm going to do. But I know one thing is for sure. When you're in the presence of Jesus, he's not an ordinary man. Oh, no. He's fully the son of God. And we all, because of what happened at Christmas, we get to stand before this man with confidence.
because of what he did for you and I. So that is what we celebrate at Christmas. It's what the third and fourth graders are starting in their lives. When they're praying to him, when they have a broken arm, or asking forgiveness when they hit their sisters. If you're here this morning and you've never cried out to Jesus, Lord, Jesus, I commit my life to you. You can do that this Christmas. I pray you would. So Brian, yeah, I go there. I turn every, every, every message into the salvation message. But dad asked me last night, what are you preaching on Christmas? So salvation. <laughs> but anyway, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, I just, um, I adore you. And God, I know that these people who encountered you at such a young, young age, recognized you as Lord, Messiah, and King. And God, I pray that if there is anyone here who has never accepted you as Lord, as Messiah, one who is anointed and worthy to follow, Lord, I pray right now that they would indeed in their hearts say, I repent of my sin. Jesus, I will follow you all of the days of my life so I, I can stand with confidence before you someday knowing that you have paid it all for me and I stand redeemed because of you. Lord, I pray as we celebrate Christmas, we would realize that Christmas is truly something to celebrate every single day of our lives as a born-again believer in Jesus. It's a day of rejoicing. Because you came to earth as God in the form of a man. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.